Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Y'all ready to get into it? Are y'all ready to get into it this Sunday morning? How many of you are hungry for the Word of God and ready to get taught? Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 verse 16 says, this is in the New Testament, Paul preaching and teaching. And so Paul stood lifted his hand to quiet them and started speaking. And he said, men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then, with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. I like how he said that he put up with them. Aren't you glad God has mercy and patience to put up with us? He's so merciful. And then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. I want you to recognize that the promises of God aren't instant sometimes. Sometimes it takes time to fulfill it. And sometimes it happens for the next generation. Many times we find that in the scripture. So it's very important if you receive a promise from God that you don't think it's just for you. It's for many generations to come. How many of you want to see your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren blessed, even those that don't even remember you? And after that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. And the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He, read this with me. He will do everything I want him to do. He will do everything I want him to do. What does God want from you? He just simply wants you to do everything he wants you to do. That's it. He just wants, and everything he does through you, he is going to bless. He is going to prosper you. It is one of the King David's descendants, and it is one of King David's descendants Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Powerful. This is such a powerful scripture. The warring king. We're going to find out today what made David such a successful king and how he warred in the spirit and won everything in the natural. He was able to unite the nations. He was able to unite the tribes of Israel. He was able to conquer and take territory and reigned for many years until his son Solomon came and set him up for success. There is an anointing for us from God in this today. And if you'll just lift up your hands one more time and pray, God bless this moment. Will you just speak this with me in agreement with me? Say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I cover this moment, I cover this moment in time. Lord Jesus, protect my hearing. I pray, God, right now that you allow my eyes to see of understanding. Let the word of God be sown into good ground in my heart. 
Let nothing take it out. Let there be soft ground, good ground. Lord, I repent of every thought, all distractions, all offenses, all fears, all hurts. Right now, I give them to you. And I ask you, dear Lord, in this moment, sow your seed. Let it bring forth fruit in Jesus' name. Let me understand and see it in your light. Amen. Now, if you will, give the Lord a hand clap and tell him thank you ahead of time because he's just so worthy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And you can be seated. You can be seated. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you for being here. We had a wonderful service, the 930 service. And once again, we want you to get ready because we are going to three services in March. And uh, it's going to happen. It's happening. God is growing this church and has been for a while. But we're thankful that you're here. I want to begin uh, this morning with this slide. I think it's very important for all of us to recognize the movement and the traveling of the ark. Most of us have never really took time to think about this, but it's very relevant to understanding how David was obedient and what he did different than all the other kings, within all, really all than, uh, than Saul. And David's obedience carried on for generation to generation, although kings weren't as obedient, as obedient to, to God as David was, he still set the tone, changed things for many generations. We're going to get, begin on this side of Jordan, the other side of Jordan after the wilderness, and go to Shiloh. This is where we had the Ark of the Covenant, which, mind you, was representative of the presence of God. For us to know the significance of this, you have to understand that this is part of your heritage. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, a worshiper, a son of God, and been born again, this is your Jewish roots. It doesn't matter what your DNA said when you got it in the mail. The Bible is the record of your true DNA. We are all one in Christ Jesus, made up of Jew and Gentile, one new man. You are the Israel of God. And part of your Jewish heritage goes back to the ark. Understanding what this represented will help you keep in mind every action that was taken by God and why he used David the way he did. But while the ark was under Eli's responsibility, the high priest, they were still dealing with the Philistines, still dealing with the enemies of the land. During this time, the sons of Eli took the ark, went into battle, and they lost it. When they lost it, Eli was so shook by this that when he got the report of the battle, found out about his sons being dead, he wasn't moved. I think he saw it coming. But when they told him that they had lost the ark and it had been taken, he fell back, hit his head, broke his neck, and died. 
Because that ark was everything. It was God's established covenant with Israel. When Moses had this built and Moses established this in the wilderness, it was that tabernacle and the ark in it that caused them to have favor. The worship that took place, that system that was there, caused them to have provision. It caused them to have clothing. Caused them to defeat all the enemies on this side of Jordan, on the other side. It was essential even as Joshua, who was one of the judges before Samuel, he carried the ark over their shoulders as God instructed him. And the walls of Jericho came down when the ark went around the walls. God brought them down. He was so strategic. But the problem that they had with Eli and his sons, they never inquired of the Lord and got direction nor properly kept the ordinances that God required them to keep. The priesthood wasn't in effect. Their priesthood was perverted. Instead of offering sacrifices to God and through animals, as they were so supposed to do, they would take it and for themselves and make steaks and ribeyes. They would eat, take the best portion for themselves. They perverted the worship of God. And they treated the ark of God as a good luck charm. Thinking that if they would just carry the box or the ark, that God would automatically win their battles. And God did not work with them. This goes to show you that a heart condition matters. The condition of the heart matters. When they lost it, and you look at this all the way through from Shiloh, all the way to Asphic, all the way to Ashdad and to Gath, and all the way through, you'll find that this is where the, the Philistines took it. And they traveled, and this is where you find out that, first of all, when they took it, they put it within their God's temple, Dagon. And when we put the ark in there, their big statue of their God fell down to his face. And they were scared. Then they were plagued with tumors and rats. And then they had all kinds of mischief. Finally, they said, that's enough of this. We don't want this box. <laughs> the Lord slayed about 50, 70 about 70 men for looking onto it. They had enough. Mishandling the presence of God will never bring a blessing in your life. But when you're consecrated and you're walking appropriately, how God required us to walk, it can do so much more. We're living under a dispensation of grace and mercy and love because of what happened at Calvary. And so we don't see things like we used to. We don't see the judgments of God as it were before. And there are many reasons for that, I believe. But ultimately, we really need to take time and thank God for Calvary. We really need to thank God for the mercy and the grace. Because all of us have made mistakes carrying his presence. But he had a promise for us that said he'd never leave us or forsake us. And so in the process of doing this, they gave it back. And they brought it to the house of Abinadab. While in the house of Abinadab, and right here you'll find it, 
right here at Kerlath Jeram, right before Jerusalem. It was in the house of Abinadab for 20 years, even during the reign of King Saul. Even during the reign of King Saul. And during the reign of King Saul, they never inquired of the Lord through it. They never tried to honor and establish the proper systems that God originally had. No one went back to establish the purpose of the ark. But when David became king and David understood of its importance, immediately David said, it took about seven years to actually do this is what most think. But within a short period of time, he said, I know what we need to do. The scripture says he was going to carry it and take it back to Jerusalem and make it its rightful place there. And the intent that David had was he was going to restore the order of the priesthood. He was going to establish worship the way God wanted him to establish it. And he would become the greatest king there ever was. Not because he was great. Not because he was good looking. Not because he was smart, talented. David was very talented. A musician. A professional musician. An inventor. Invented many instruments according to history and the book of Psalms. Labeling these instruments that never were. Establishing worship that there never was in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, through Moses' time. He was such a brilliant man, smart, but he was also blessed and covered and anointed by God. But when it was his time, he would carry that ark all the way back to Jerusalem to establish it. There were some hiccups along the way. There were some moments like Uzzah who got struck by the presence of God while trying to carry it on a cart. But this is where David who had understanding, who understood if you need to learn something, go back to history. Because if you don't learn from history, you're destined to repeat it. And so he found out that that ark should be killed, held and carried on the shoulders of the priest. And it's at that point that they took the ark and they carried it up to Jerusalem. And David danced before the Lord. David understood it. What's unique about David is that David was anointed to be king, but he was anointed three times in his life. We just remember the time that Jesse brought his sons and he brought them out from the field and Samuel anointed him. But that was the first anointing that took place in David's life. He took the anointing when he was with his family. That anointing for his family did so much good, and we don't think about this most of the time. While David was anointed and while David was chosen and he was there in, in, his, in, his, in his family, God blessed David. He defeated Goliath. He began in what you don't know and what you do know, but we never put together sometimes because I hadn't. But did you know that, again, you know what the reward was for whoever killed Goliath? But we see, sometimes we forget that his family benefited from that victory because one of the rewards was that him and his whole family would live tax-free. His whole family. That he would be blessed financially. 
And I'm sure he had some cousins too. <laughs> that he would also become the son-in-law to the king. So Saul was his father-in-law or outlaw. But that's when he was anointed. And then they anointed him again as king of Judah. He took an anointing for the tribe. That was the second anointing when he was king. But then when David took the Ark of the Covenant and David established the worship and the right and he took Jerusalem, David was anointed by all the tribes of Israel to become the king over all tribes. The third anointing was he became a king over the nations. So there are three levels of anointing that David had. One for the family, one for his tribe, and another one for the nations. This is very key to understanding David's life. Because David grew in his anointing. And the first place God had to try them and God would use him was to bless his family. When in our minds, if we could recognize this, God wants to use us first to grow and to bless our families. If you try to jump that and go to the next, you're going to miss the process and you'll suffer for it. Because God will never take you further than the anointing on your home. He'll, you try to go there, but you can't go there. Because you can never outgrow your base, your foundation. Because while you're trying to proceed and trying to grow and trying to change the nation or change the world, you've got too many family problems happening. Happening. Now, after the fact, if David's kids came up and rebelled against him, it wouldn't stop because he did things right. But God was with him. And when God anointed him to be the king of Judah, it came with the price. He was an armor bearer. He paid a price. He gave his heart. He gave his love. But he didn't care about nothing else except doing the will of God. And then God blessed him. Your anointings progress in your life. And there has to be levels of development, education, and growing. And every trouble that you face is not there to destroy you. It's actually there to grow you. It is there to grow you, educate you. And as long as you brush it off, you'll never grow from it. As long as you ignore it and become the proverbial ostrich with his head in the sand, you'll never understand what your troubles, your challenges were meant to do for you. The anointing in your life that God gives you is going to break every yoke of bondage. The anointing that God has for you through your relationship with him is going to give you the ability to knock every giant down in your life. It wasn't the stone that killed the giant. The stone just knocked him down. It was David's own sword that killed him when David took it off of him. And he cut his head off. Everything that the enemy tries to do to you, if you're anointed, he'll turn it back on him. I don't know if you caught that or not. Everything, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I will tell you right now. The what you have in your arsenal may not seem like much. But when God anoints you, he'll take what's in the devil's hands and use it against him. 
This is the anointing that David had. He didn't come. He didn't get equipped. and He couldn't get equipped by the king. He didn't take his armor. He took what God had given him already. And with the anointing, it's enough. With the anointing, it is enough. Stop saying to yourself, I'm talking to somebody here. Stop saying to yourself, I don't have everything lined up. I don't have everything together. My life is a mess. I don't know if I can do anything because I don't feel worthy. If you are under the obedience and the place of God and worshiping him, stop limiting yourself by thinking, I don't have the proper equipment. But take what you do have and worship God and give him all of your heart and he'll use what you have right now to defeat every giant that stone could be one scripture for you that stone could be one article of faith for you that one stone could be one mindset I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that one stone if it's anointed by God can be hurled and hit the target and God will give you the rest to take care of what's stopping you. I'm, I just got to say this right now because this isn't in my notes. Who is dealing with giants right now in your life? Who is dealing with some big things in front of you and you feel like they're way bigger than you, you can't handle it, and you don't know how it's going to happen, and you don't know how God's going to remove it? Is it, it? What is it in your life? Is it a stronghold in your family? Is it something that's stopping you from coming into the presence of God? Is it something over your business? Is it something in your career? Is it something that's there in your spiritual walk with God? Can I tell you, you're anointed by God and you may not have what you think you need to have, but all you need is the anointing. All you need is the anointing of God. Use what you have right now. <clears throat> I can tell you John in 3 and 16 will kick the devils behind. I can tell you for a fact, one scripture will take out the devil. I have to move on. Mm. When David got to Jerusalem, his intent was, I'm going to do what Saul was supposed to do. We're going to establish the, tavern, the, the, the temple and put the Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to reestablish the priest. In fact, in fact, watch this. In fact, when they took the Ark from the house of Abinadab to Jerusalem, Although Uzzah was struck the second time when they carried it, David put on the linen ephod again. And every six steps, they gave a sacrifice of an animal. Every six steps. There were thousands of animals sacrificed. And David danced with all his might in the presence of God in the robe and the attire of the priest with the linen ephod. He became part of the priesthood and began to worship. He knew the importance of what this would do. Point number one, kings know they need priests. Every king 
should know you need priest. You need someone in your life that is going to spiritually cover you. And just because you're blessed does not mean you have a covenant. I want to show you something. This was something I mentioned in the first service. But you ever heard the scripture where it says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated? Did you know there's one thing that you can find within the scripture that happened between the two? Esau was blessed. Jacob was blessed. But the one thing you'll find is that Jacob couldn't get away with anything. Every time Jacob did wrong, God corrected him. But Esau, when he did wrong, God just let him go. Do what you want to do. It doesn't matter. But for Jacob, he corrected Jacob. He chastised Jacob. He got his lip out of his his hip out of socket. He wrestled with the Lord all night. Jacob couldn't get away with anything. And he lied many times. He would just, in his nature, he would just a heel grabber. But God corrected him. Whom the Lord loves, he chastises. And when you start living for God and you try to do wrong and try to get out of the way, if you get corrected and things don't work out right, or even if you're not happy in your spirit, it could be that God loves you so much, he's not going to allow you to live that life because you know too much. You know too much. This world is temporary. The one to come is eternal. This world is temporary, and the one to come is eternal. But as God's kings and representatives to take dominion in this world, you have to understand the verbiage. You have to let it sink into your conscience. You're not just anybody. You are an ambassador to the kingdom of God, a representative, and God wants you to have full dominion. But you cannot fully reign in your area of influence unless you have the priesthood established. David knew this is why he was a successful warrior because he knew how to worship God. David brought in a new type of worship. This is where you find in the Psalms where David didn't just offer sacrifices of animals. He offered then, watch this, sacrifices of thanksgiving, sacrifices of praise. A new emotional type heart connection to the presence of God. It wasn't done out of ritual and tradition and systematically. It was done with affection, with sincerity, with a heart of worship. And he wrote psalms and he described about these psalms. And he invented, according to history, he invented so many new types of instruments to give praises to God. Psalms 150 describes a lot of the instruments. He was a very talented individual. But his strength in his heart was worship. It was worship. They call this the Davidic worship. They call this Davidic worship. Because when David began to introduce this, he introduced all of this, this new emotional move and experience. Not too long ago, we had one of those services on a Wednesday night, and, and, and I just felt the Lord tell me, tell them, and this is just what happened that night, tell them that part of their problem is they forgot how to worship and dance. 
and, and I think some of the people thought, some of the people, some of y'all that were here were thinking, oh my God, they, you went back to your old Pentecostal days and you started running the aisles. <sighs> That's not what I was talking about. I hate to break your heart. So don't keep looking forward. Nobody remembers who was here that night. They don't know it was you. But you just can't stand there either. When your heart is engaged with worship, you want to know what true worship is? Is when you're not reading the songs on the screen. Those songs are just for new people. Those lyrics up there are just for new people to learn the culture. But whenever I begin to worship, I'm just going to tell you, I'm out of rhythm. I am totally out of rhythm sometimes because I'm in the zone. And you'll see me begin to do things like move my hands and just begin to, just begin to move my feet and begin to do things such as this and worship because I'm not just going to stand like this to my God who desires my full body, my full soul, and my full heart. So you don't have to go crazy and do something. If you draw attention to yourself, that is your flesh. But you can stand still and move and worship like the Africans do. You've never seen them, have you? Francois, where are you at? Is that how they do it in Africa? They'll move and they'll just begin to worship where they're at. And they'll begin to get lost in it. And I believe this is what David did. And David began to move, and David began to worship. Now you're going to say to yourself, I'm not doing none of that. When the Holy Ghost is on you, and the Spirit of God is flowing through you, and you remember how good God is, and you remember how wonderful he's been, and you've experienced his love in your life, if you don't stomp your feet, if you don't move out of rhythm, if you don't worship like that, I got to say, maybe you haven't experienced God like I have, but I got to tell you, I remember where he brought me from. I remember where I was. I shouldn't be here. I was the son of a nightclub owner. I was somebody who dealt with drugs and alcohol. I was somebody who was wayward, far away from church. But one day, the Spirit of God grabbed a hold of me, changed my life, and touched my affection. And something inside of me says, make a dance unto the Lord. Worship your God with fervency. Stamp, stomp your feet. Clap your hands. Lift your voice. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. <clears throat> and this is what David did. This is what David did. Watch this. Psalms, Samuel 6, 13. 2 Samuel 6 and 13 says, After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And, and, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. He had every right to. Listen, after finding out what you did wrong, when God gives you grace again to do it right, would you put your whole heart into it? David did. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. There it is. David knew as a king how important it was to have a priest. And he joined the priesthood. He was called by God. David is the only one within the scripture that can closely be related to Jesus Christ, who was our high priest. 
And David was king and priest. And this man, this man had no shame. This man had no shame. And as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window and she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. Now, I would leap, but I'd throw my back out. She was filled with contempt for him. In other words, she was embarrassed. She was embarrassed. How dare him get emotional for God? It was his own wife. His own house. This is why the anointing that first came into David's life was one for his family. If you don't allow the Lord to anoint you for your family, you're going to constantly deal with opposition and discord and people. And it's not going to be because they're against God. It's going to be because there is no presence I'm trying to be very kind about this, but I have to be obedient. I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm just simply stating what I know is here because we have to build the family. We have to see the presence of God in our homes, but we have to become unashamed, especially in our own homes. You know where you should dance for the Lord in your home? Nobody's ever done that. Oh, I dance in front of the presence of God all the time in my home. <clears throat> Sorry, my son just gave me a whole shipment of cough drops. <clears throat> You're an overachiever, son. Thank you. There are times in my home <laughs> where I, I get to worshiping and I feel something hit me. And I, I don't, I, I know, if you were to see me in my home sometimes, in my room, and see me when I feel the anointing come on me, and this warring spirit comes on me, I feel like an Indian sometimes. I feel, sometimes I feel it's a, it's a, it's a dance of joy and victory. And, and when David was dancing, I know this is sound crazy, but I have to be transparent with you and tell you the true worshipers of God have a move of God in their own homes. You must learn how to have a move of God in your homes. Ain't nobody watching? What? You've never danced to music in your home? Nobody's ever danced to music in their home. You never were by yourself and. <laughs> ever. And you're giving me a weird glaze over your face because I said I dance to the spirit of the Lord and dance and worship unto God. I'm just asking you. I'm not telling you anything weird. I'm telling you the normal. I'm not telling you to stop dancing. I'm just telling you, change partners. Michael was so upset with him, but something broke. David established the kingdom. 
David started taking every one of his adversaries. Yeah, he had problems along the way. Yes, he had a rebellious son. But look, read the life of David. He outsmarted every single one of them. He was so dynamic in warfare. Generals study the life of David. Military people study the life of David. There are people that learn the secret to winning battles. The warring king must not be ashamed of their worship. God won't cause you to dance all the time in his presence. He won't. And you'll never get to that level unless you learn how to be intimate with him. Husbands, have you ever taken your wife in your home and danced slow, a slow song with her? Oh, my gosh. Am I, gonna, am I setting the bar? Like, are some of you guys like, what in the world would you say that right now, Pastor Bobby? Don't you know Valentine's Day is coming up? And now she's going to expect me to dance our high school song with her in the living room? Okay, okay. Have I ever danced a slow song with you in the house? Thank you. You never have? Well, I'm just asking. Because what happens when you get into the anointing and you begin to pray and true, really worship God, you'll, you'll find this rhythm that will grab a hold of you and you become intimate with him. And you'll feel this just presence. And sometimes you'll just wave your arms. Have you ever been this, like this before? And say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I worship you. And you're praying, what do you think you're doing? You're giving him a wave offering right then. That's David. David introduced that into the church, a wave offering. He began to worship God. He began to praise God. He began to acknowledge God. He began to sing songs. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He began to sing songs like, oh, when I, when I fall, rejoice not against me. Oh, my enemies, I shall arise. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But you really want to know the secret to how David won every battle? Point number two, the secret to winning battles is in the consulting with the Lord. David consulted with God. The warring king was victorious. David was successful because he established the priesthood. He organized it. Got it back in motion. He knew what to do with the ark. He knew how to transport it. He learned the hard way, but he learned how to carry it. Don't, get, don't give up. Don't give up. If you've fallen or you've not been a good steward of it, we have all fallen. We have all come short. I want to explain that to somebody here. But we're trying to teach you how to be authentic and real. And be a true worshiper where you're in, you're head over heels with the Holy Ghost. Where you are a true worshiper and you let yourself go in private. And you learn how to worship God and you bring something to church called a fire and an anointing. And this is where lives are changed. But I want to read you something that gives David the edge past 
his worship. Listen to this. First Chronicles. Now, when this all took place, let me go back. Hold on one second. All right. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. This is what happened to David. And, and they were about to stone David because his men were so upset with him. But listen how God brought him on top. Because you may think to yourself, okay, David, uh, did he win every time? No. But neither do we. We win some. We don't lose some. We learn some. Right? Well, David learned something here. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1 says, Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their own town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Neviv, Negev, and Zeglag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. They kidnapped them. And when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. And they also took David's two wives, Ahinam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, were among those captured. And David was now in great danger because all the men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. They began to talk about stoning him. But David found strength. David found strength in the Lord. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. It's on now. David said, I'm getting into priest mode. That's what, every, that's what the devil should be afraid of in your life. When the devil watches you change garments and puts on your praise, puts on your worship, and you put on your consecration, I promise you, you are scaring the devil because he knows it's not by might nor by power, but by the spirit of the living God. And when you start to get into your worship, this is where God begins to come in. And here's what happened to David. David said, bring me the ephod. That just gives me chills. So Abiathar brought it, and David asked of the Lord, should I chase after the band of raiders? Now, most of you, including myself, would have been, well, let's go get them. Right now, what are we waiting on? It's got to be God's will. David inquired of the Lord first. Never go to battle unless you know the Lord is going with you. I don't care how right it may seem. The battle does not belong to you. Until it belongs to the Lord. This was the secret in David's life. He sought the Lord. He said, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, now when the Lord speaks, it's done. Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. 
All you have to learn is to stop no matter how urgent the situation is and inquire of the Lord and ask the Lord, shall I pursue? What shall I do? And wait for a witness and wait for direction. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you are a priest and you are accustomed to worship, you will become finely tuned to the voice of God. Where in that moment when things occur, you can quickly get direction from God. When you lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, he will direct your path. The, the longer it takes to get an answer is an indication of how sensitive you are to him. But the more sensitive you are to him, it doesn't take long. Does that make sense? Time spent with God is time well spent. David knew if he's going to establish the kingdom, David was known for uniting the tribes of Israel. He, be, he, was, the, he was the greatest king there ever was. But he learned how to get counsel from God, and he did one thing right that no one else did. He established the presence of God and organized the priest. That changed everything. <clears throat> we don't need organized religion. You know what we need? Organized worship. You must put worship into your schedule and take time. And you must introduce worship and the priesthood into your home. You must not do anything without seeking counsel from the Lord. Is he not Lord of all? Does he have the answers? Do we live life by permission? That's my life. And I still make mistakes. But if I make a mistake, I go back. I repent. See, that's another one of David's strengths. He knew how to repent. He knew how to say it was me. You can always start over. Aren't you glad for Calvary? One time I had a young girl years ago tell me, Pastor Bobby, I, I can't. It's hard for me to worship in my home because my parents don't go to church and I, I don't want to scare them. She said, I have no place to worship. So I asked her a question. I said, well, do you have your own room? Yes. It's okay. Do you have a closet? Yes. Do you have headphones? Yes. You can always find a place to worship God. You want to know the beauty of that? What the beauty of that is? You're the temple. I don't want to make my husband mad or my wife mad because, you know, believe it or not, there's conflict in the marriage sometimes. And just so you'll understand, I'm not being judgmental and picking on somebody. Our marriage wasn't in agreement when we first got saved either. Pastor Don didn't want to get saved. No, she did. She did. She didn't want to get radically saved like I was because I was weird. <laughs> uh, anyways. 
it, it was just different. Especially when God baptized you in the Holy Spirit. Especially when you don't understand everything. The reality of it is, is that we all have to grow in Christ. But the Bible is real. And every promise in the Bible is yes and amen. And everything God has for you, it's real. Why would you deny it if there's something good that comes with that? Or why would you limit God? Many of the times it's because there's a division and there's a, a, a misunderstanding. But here's the secret. You want to know what one my mama, my mama, my mama has passed. But my mama was dead set against us going to another church if it wasn't the Roman Catholic Church. Have I ever shared this with you? My family would drive to our home, our apartment when we were young, first started going to church, a spirit-filled church, and they would drive up behind our car. They would park right behind it, right at the time we were leaving for church, and get out and say, hey, what are y'all doing? We're going to church. Oh, well, come on, come out to eat with us instead. Come spend time with the family. You don't need to be going to that church. Every Sunday. I was like, oh, Lord. Then my mama spent the night with us. You know what I did? I didn't preach to her. I said, Mama, can I? I said, Mom, I, I called. No, don't judge me. I said, I said, Mommy, can I? You didn't call your mom, Mommy? What's wrong with you? I said, can I, can I pray with you? Can I pray with you before you go to bed? She said, yeah, sure. Well, I stood by, I, I kneeled by her side, and I prayed my mom to sleep every night. And after a while, something transferred. I was being a son. And I remember the days when my mom was there for me. I lost my dad at a very young age, and my mom would put me to sleep every night. I sowed it back into her life. And it wasn't long. God filled my mama with the Holy Ghost. She was water baptized. I didn't preach to her. I loved her. And I allowed what was inside of me to pass on to her, but I got permission. And when she said yes, it was on. I put on the linen ephod. And I began to worship. And I didn't do it loud. And I didn't put my hands on her and go, God, should have... <laughs> Kickstart a Honda should have shot a mosquito. I didn't say anything. That was weird. I just began to pray under my voice and let the Spirit of God begin to flow in love on my mama. But I wasn't ashamed to worship my mom. You don't do it out of a carnal passion and zeal for God, you do it with wisdom and love. And if you'll fall in love with God in your home and honor God, Love and worship is your greatest weapon. Souls will be converted. The anointing will come into your... I'm not giving you something that's far-fetched. I'm giving you something that is biblical and within your reach. You are, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you have to ask yourself, then where are the priests? 
And if we get into alignment and organize our worship and begin to set time aside for him in the evening and in the morning, and we light the candles of his illumination, be filled with the anointing, and let the altar of incense arise out of our spirit, you're going to begin to see and eat the good of the land. You're going to begin to eat the shoe bread and what the body of Christ is going to produce in your life, and you'll live as priest, and you'll worship as priest, and you'll have direction and favor, and God will establish his kingdom through your life, and you'll begin to walk walking authority in this world and it's not about making money and it's not about making your name known and it's not about achieving titles it's not about any of that it's about God getting the glory from your life it's about God getting the recognition and people seeing the kingdom of God and everyone understanding that I don't know who they are I know they're not educated I know that, but somehow I know they've been with Jesus. I know that they have been with the Lord. There's something about them that makes them different. When they walk into the room, things begin to change. And this is where you say, it's not me, but it's him inside of me. He's greater than every demon in the world and every problem and every depression and all this anxiety and all of these things. It's him inside of me. Something will shift. Something will shift in your life. Here's what I want to leave you with. Write this down and you can stand to your feet afterwards. Are you ready? The word is your counsel. The Holy Ghost is your counselor. And Jesus is your victor. What God is doing at Riverside Church is not like other churches. I got to tell you the truth. This church is growing, but it's not growing because of us. It's growing because of him. And the reason why people are coming is because they really want something real. You can go to any church and get inspired. You can get inspiration. You can get told what you want to hear. You'll never get challenged. If that's what you want, let us help you find the right church. But if you want to know Jesus and understand his purpose and the kingdom and know your full potential in him and understand that God can do more through your life than just being religious and going to church, then this is the place for you. Don't let the devil talk you out of your full potential in God. And don't get impatient with yourself. Forgive yourself. Be patient with yourself. Keep on pressing in. Come on, stand to your feet. Keep on pressing in. Keep on warring. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes consistency. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on pressing in. There's a warring king inside of you. Turn to someone and tell them there's a king in you. There's a king inside of you. There's a priest inside of you. There's a priest inside of you. God wants to give you the heart of worship. God wants to take you beyond. God wants to help you understand. It's not by power, nor by might, but by his spirit. Right now in this building, I pray that every person would begin to surrender to the presence of God in the building. As you lift up your hands, I'm asking the Holy Ghost to just anoint the hungry hearts. Open up the minds of those that have questions. Open up the minds of those that love the Lord. This isn't about throwing the red flag at everything you do wrong. This isn't about people condemning you because of things you've done. This is about falling in love with Jesus. 
This is simply about falling in love with him. This isn't about giving up things. This is about giving in to Jesus. This is not about a religious environment where we, 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 we judge everyone. Jesus didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world. There are no excuses because Calvary paid the price for all of us. Let's give him the ultimate sacrifice of his son. Through your life, somebody give him an offering of thanksgiving, an offering of praise. Someone worship him this Sunday morning like a priest would. <laughs> come on, let, the, let it press in. Just press in right now. Let the anointing come. Let the anointing come. Somebody, somebody pray in the spirit. Let the incense leave your lips. Let the fervency of your heart, let the fervency of your heart begin to come. That's all this is, is a moment for you to be intimate with Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.